Okay, Reed, I saw on LinkedIn this week, someone posted a suggestion that says, try to start any one of your Zoom or Teams meetings or any in-person meeting you have this week without talking about the weather. I guess a lot of people are talking about how cold it is. Every conversation starts with that. In the interest of trying to start this podcast with something different, what would be your, your meeting starter? Is the temperature within the office the same thing? Ooh, that's a technicality. I think that works. I've had people say, what are you watching? What shows are you watching on TV right now or streaming or whatever? Um, And then the other day, I just had someone say, well, what's your favorite podcast? And that's always a hard one for me to answer because, you know, we have a podcast. So, you know, without sounding self-serving, what do you say? Yes, those are hot tamales on my desk. Welcome to Touchpoint a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 367. Uh, We are both stopped up at this point. Can that happen through the microphone? I know you can, I can send viruses to you online, but I'm not sure of medical viruses. Not that kind of virus. <laughs> well, thanks, everybody. Chris Reed here, as always. Uh, super thankful for uh, you tuning in, listening to another episode of Touchpoint. If you're new, welcome. If you're a returner, thank you for coming back. Starting a new year, a few episodes in. Give a quick plug for the website, touchpoint.health. You can sign up for the TPS report over there. An email each week starts out with five articles, and hopefully that's a little value add for you, the listener. You know, we'd love for you to sign up for that. Let us know what you think or, or even send in articles. We'll, we'll include, I get no money off of those. Um, so it's not like, you know, I've got to put certain, certain <laughs> articles in there or anything like that. You know, no sponsored content, at least not yet. Uh, not yet. Yeah, don't shut off that avenue there, Reed. Yeah. I mean, if you want to do that, I mean, if you want to pay to write an article, I'll probably let you do that. But nonetheless... <laughs> the TPS report, you can sign up over at the website. We'll pause here, let you do that, and then be back with uh, today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this, 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you.
you know, on this show, we talk about a lot of different topics that are related to digital and healthcare. And last week's conversation about disruption is one that's kind of higher level to see what's happening. But today we're going to get into a little bit more of a technical conversation about search engines and how search engines have changed. Would you agree that searching online has changed over the last few years? Oh yeah, hundred percent. And we've talked about some of that stuff, you know, with like the knowledge cards or, or whatever on the whatever you call those things, and the expanding information that you can find in somebody's, you know, Google My Business listing. Right? It's changed the way that you use it. The necessary step of clicking through to the intended website, maybe it's not always needed. And it's changing even more. And no surprise, the big thing behind the change is generative AI. What we're like three minutes into the show, we're talking about it. It's even give rise to a new three-letter acronym that we're going to talk about briefly today. And then we're going to get into really deep with a great interview we have later on in the show with Carrie Lycan. S-G-E. Can you guess what that stands for? Uh, maybe super general electric, <laughs> like the Uber company over general electric. That's right. It's actually about, it's actually, it, it's weird. It doesn't really hundred percent correlate, but it's about generative AI and search mm-hmm. search generated experiences. That's what it stands for. There are several listeners that are just on the verge of bingo. I think at this point, but, <laughs> We're going to get into that. But first, before we get deep into SGE, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things around search and how search engines are changing. The first thing we want to talk about is just a big kind of theme, I guess, is user intent. We've all talked about keywords historically and what keywords mean as you think about SEO and websites and keyword optimization and all those types of things. You know, one thing that that you've noticed over the years, obviously, is that the way these you know search engines now work is trying to understand what it is that you're trying to do. You know, what, what was your intent with this search word, phrase, sentence? That is on the rise, along with all of the other AI things that are out there. Really, AI is not just generative AI. There is uh, natural language processing and other things, and that's really the big focus here. In fact, when you talk about you know the predominant search engine Google, in November of 2023, they released their core update, which doubled down on prioritizing websites with content that comprehensively addresses the underlying meaning and context of a user's query, not just matching keywords. So I can't hide words with the same color background or whatever like people used to do. You remember that? Gosh, that was, you remember that? that? In the old days, we used stuff. to just put all the keywords at the bottom in the same <laughs> you know, white text or whatever. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? The fact that NLP and subsequently search engines can understand a relationship is, is still wild to me. So the difference in just words, keyword matching in concepts, phrases, all those things is really, really quite interesting. Yeah. And that impacts a lot of things, Reed, because that means that we have to have content that gives information around intent. I think it's really interesting for us because We've talked about on the show often about how we're giving guidance now to avoid using tools, third-party tools that help understand user content like Google Analytics, but yet Google is doubling down on the fact that you want to understand user intent. Yeah, it's interesting, right? They've got a what they're calling quote-unquote helpful content update 
expected at time, sometime in 24 that's going to prioritize content that, as they say, demonstrably uh, benefits users and aligns with their intent, answers their questions, et cetera. Interesting, because again, to your point, we just talked about you know some of the old keyword tactics and things like that. But as you think about, and you mentioned it, some of the changes and some of the uh, you know OCR's guidance around you know privacy and you know uh, those types of things, you know what what does that mean, right? So user intent. How do we create content that then is still helpful, but yet you know it's not creepy or weird or something? I think we're going to figure that out, right? That, that certainly is going to impact how we sort of address that because we have to be careful about not disclosing user intent because it's HIPAA protected now. So it's interesting. Here's some other changes that that we're going to see, Read Enhanced entity recognition and relationships. Search engines are getting better at identifying and understanding entities like people, places, and things. I guess... Uh, for search engines, nouns has become entities, right? We're not. We're going to say the same <laughs> yeah. thing. Is that Neo? Is that like noun engine optimization? Yeah, exactly. I, we're going to have to change that song, right? An entity is a person, place, or thing. But uh, within queries and search results, which allows them to present information in a more connectative and relevant way, reflecting relationships between entities. But there's a great example here. Like if you're searching for best hiking trails near Nashville, for example. The results that you see could include not just trail descriptions, but also information about nearby camping, weather conditions, equipment rentals, all those other things that are kind of related to what would be a hiking trip. That's interesting. Yeah, and so it's like, you know, what does that mean for us, right? So it's like, you know, if people are looking... For content, um, let's just pick an easy one here on like where to have a baby, right? Or something like that. So it's going to give you all the information that we have today about virtual tours and, you know, those types of things, but may also talk about other types of birth, other services that kind of fit in and around that. Or even like hotels near your hospital for our visiting family, that sort of thing, right? Those are... That's that's really crazy to think about how that could potentially change the way we SEO in the future, so to speak. Something else on the list is contextual factors and personalization. So algorithms are increasingly incorporating things like location, you know, your past search history to really kind of try to personalize those results. So, you know, again, to that earlier point, you know, uh, hiking trails near Nashville or something like that really you're just talking about hiking trails and it knows physically where you are. Right. So you may have to say in Nashville, if that's where you're traveling to, like you're not physically there. But again, if you've looked up hotels in Nashville and some of those types of things, then maybe contextually it does understand that you plan to then go there. Somewhat assumptive, right? You see that a little bit now where you Google something and it'll pop up and ask if it can use your location and it'll kind of in real time, flip the results a little bit, yep. usually on the map, right? Like if you're looking for restaurants or something like that. Well, you know, and I, I think that there are some concerns about that, right? Because it could create what they call the filter bubble, where you're only starting to get information that is reinforced by what you looked at before. And it could create this very limited viewpoint of what you're, what you're finding. And think about that, like for people searching for care in a local market, if they've you know, gone to this other hospital website over and over again, does that mean it's going to reinforce that as a preference for care when they search for care in the future? I don't, I, you know, I, again, I think we, we have to 
kind of see how this plays out in the future. Another thing that is going to be important here is they're focusing on engagement metrics and user experience, doubling down on that. So search engines are going beyond traditional SEO stuff. Remember, it used to be backlinks and keywords, like you talked about keyword stuffing, uh, all yes, that right out of the Now they're spending time on things like click-through rates, bounce rates, and even dwell time. I've never heard that Ooh. specifically characterized that way. Dwell time. How long do they dwell on your website? I like that. I see a whole episode around dwell rates. Uh, <laughs> dwell rates. Up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, again, websites that offer some sort of a positive experience. Yeah. I mean, you would think that those would get prioritized. That would make sense. You know, they want to make sure that they're delivering content or delivering people to content. That is what they're looking for. Keeps them there. And it's how, you know, it's how, that's how they're kind of ranking that. How long are they staying? You mentioned bounce rates. Those have been around for a while. It's interesting when you think about what we do. The hospitals that I'm working with or involved with are, are not the Cleveland Clinic or the Mayo Clinic or somewhere that you go for a lot of definitional content, potentially. Right, right. right. WebMD, you know, et cetera. So what does that mean? Because again, I'm driving everybody there from a transactional value, right? So again, you get there, you launch an on-demand visit, you know, whatever it may be. So I'd be curious to see how some of these, the nuances of this kind of plays out. Okay. One last, uh, one last uh, section we want to talk about before the break, evolving ranking factors, right? Technical SEO and site speed are still important, all the technical aspects of SEO, but you can see now with this kind of new shift in Google's uh, Google's release, right, of the uh, the core update and then the helpful content update that they're planning this year. It's going to focus more intently on user intent and user experience as being dominant ranking factors. So think about that. Like, you know, what does that mean if you want to SEO in the future? You've got to adopt your strategies to prioritize user intent and creating content that's useful and better UX UI. Yeah. And again, you know, they, they, you know, the call out around mobile uh, is something we've talked about forever, but this idea of being mobile first or almost mobile only, you know, we're probably not too far away from that. Right. So it's like, you know, I, I don't know. It's really interesting, uh, you know, how some of this has evolved, probably less blog content, depending on who you are. Right. Like a, for us, Again, you're going to get most of that through social. So it's like, I don't know that we need a blog on our website. I could be convinced otherwise, maybe, but um, I don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> well, let's take a brief pause. We'll come back. We'll go a little bit further into entity-based search because I think there's some interesting things there. Remember, entity is an, a person, place, or thing. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the changes there because that's where you're going to start to see where this is going to dramatically change the way search is. We'll do that right after this brief pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. All right, so let's talk about nouns. 
here we are. <laughs> the, the rise of entity-based search. Um, so again, people, places, things. And again, for us in the healthcare world, uh, this is you know important. We have people, we have places, and we have services or things you know that we're talking about or marketing. So I think it's really important to think about like how does it like what what is the tie here? And search engines have become better over the years at understanding the relationship between those things. So it's I mean we've seen like how. It understands over the, in the last five or 10 years, it understands where you are geographically. It'll start to understand if you're searching for something, it prioritizes those things near you, that sort of thing. But think about like this, the knowledge graph is expanding here to interconnect entities and, and things online that are related to concepts, related to people, to places, that whole construct of an entity becoming a part of a larger ecosystem of other things that are related to it. This gives rise to something called entity-centric ranking and knowledge panels. Do you want to talk about that, Reed? That sounds very complicated. It does. (laughs) Entity-centric ranking. Uh, No, so this is uh, algorithms prioritizing websites that uh, demonstrate a strong connection to relevant entities and provides comprehensive information about it. So, these are things that you see pulled out or those snippets you see in knowledge panels or on the search result pages. You Google, you know, Air Jordans or something, right? And so you may get the little panel kind of over on the right or especially like someone's name. Like, you know, you, you type in there, you know, uh, John F. Kennedy Jr., whatever, right? And so you get the little knowledge panel over on the right and it gives you a summary of a lot of information. You see things like when they were born, when they died, you know, some of the key highlights in this case, president these years, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Achievements, affiliations, et cetera. Yeah, that's really interesting to think about. I like the idea of Air Jordans too, because the knowledge graph may even associate that with Michael Jordan. Or even uh, apparel, not just shoes. Yeah, right? exactly. Because um, it's, a, it's a whole brand. I, I don't know. It's just, it's very interesting, right? Recognizing and, co- and presenting these connections between entities, it does uh, accomplishes a couple of things. First of all, it enables users to refine their search based on these relationships. For example, if you're searching for, let's say, Albert Einstein, you could also get Albert Einstein's wife as part of that search, right? Or you could further your search by looking into various different things uh, related, you know, how you're how you're interacting with that knowledge panel. This gets to a more intuitive and exploratory search experience that goes beyond just like typing in who is Albert Einstein and only getting stuff about Albert Einstein, for example. Back to the Air Jordan thing, right? Like I literally just Googled it and it didn't even give me search results. It basically took me straight to well, it is search results, but it's shopping. And so you got a bunch of filters that have popped up that normally would not be there if you were searching for for Albert Einstein, for example, right? And so now I can see things like kids versus men's versus women's or the color, you know, certain types of Air Jordans. And most of the links that it's showing me are where to buy Air Jordans, right? So again, it's that contextual nature of it has an idea of, of what it is I was trying to accomplish. And from a relationship standpoint, it's tying it together more broadly with other products and services and even even places in this case. 
What, now, now let's think about this, Reed. Put it into our world, right? Air Jordans is one thing. That's a product that you can buy, right? I think that's a natural thing to lead them to search. But what, what about if people are start searching for types of care treatments? They can associate that with local academic medical centers that may be doing that, even clinical trials that may be approaching this type of clinical treatment, medication associated with it. It suddenly starts to build this like entity around that particular search to say, hey, you might be interested also in this. Now, the second thing that this accomplishes is for Google to start to understand your intent better because Google is starting to build ranking around this. So it's no surprise that when you put in Air Jordan into the search results, it puts up search results for how to buy them. Because more than likely, if you're typing that into Google, Google believes you're you're on the pathway to purchase. Especially me. So it knows I'm going to purchase them because <laughs> I have. Super interesting. Uh, you know, the next thing kind of uh, as far as a relationship standpoint goes is this idea of the local entity. So again, when you're Googling things like restaurants, you know, historically, you'd always do like the near me and stuff like that. Well, it kind of have to anymore, right? right? I mean, if you're looking for a restaurant, it's probably not, it's pretty smart and knows you're not just wondering what a restaurant is. It's, so it's going to surface things that are close to you uh, in, in a lot of cases. So I think that's really interesting too, because again, obviously, a lot of healthcare is about access and convenience and location and things like that, right? So you may be Googling things like uh, something about the flu or sore throat or something like that, right? You may get doctors that treat that or even online medic, you know, medication or online ways to see a doctor or something like that. But it's also going to pull up that local entity, right? Like here's some urgent care centers close to you or something like that. Absolutely. In fact, that very search did that here for me, right? I just typed in flu and it got, of course, it gives you the information. What is the flu? How many days will the flu last? All the things that you kind of ask for when you have the flu. But then right below all of that, you know, all the, the information about it, list urgent care centers that you can go to if you're struck with the flu. It's really fascinating to see how that's kind of playing into the new search experience that we talk about here. The last thing, uh, you know, around this concept of uh, of the entity or the noun search is multimodal search, incorporating images, voice queries, videos, everything, right, around this one type of search because they realize that people are searching a lot differently nowadays, right? I did sore throat treatment and... Like, I don't even have to leave the search result page, right? Like, it's got some instructions on here that apparently came from Penn Medicine's website on sore throats. But to your point, there's discussion forums on here. There are videos. There are recordings. Uh, there's images. There's all kinds of, of pieces here that would go against this idea. Home remedies. And so, again, it's pulling in all the information you might need if you were, you know, Googling that, right? Local places to have it treated, et cetera. So other things that we want to consider as we talk about how like search is changing, right? Voice search is huge. Voice search is not only huge because it's being used, Siri, Alexa, uh, Google Home, right? But it's changing the way people are searching. Search terms now are becoming search phrases based on natural language. What uh, urgent care center is available to me? 
those are searches that, you know, before we used to say near me or, or whatever. Now it's becoming more like a, a, a spoken word because a lot of times I do it too. I just talk to my device. I don't type anything in. We've used this for a while, right? Just like almost in the trivia portion of our life. You'd ask your watch, you know, how old Tiger Woods is or something. And now it's expanding to where that is the reason in the way people search. I think the way people interact with technology has changed. Therefore, this is not odd. We'll point out maybe another another item or two. One is um, reviews and online mentions. Uh, and so again, this idea of word of mouth is still a big deal, right? So the influence of online reviews are important. And I think this is really interesting. It's probably, a, well, it is a, a topic for a whole nother day. There are regulatory uh, pieces of feedback we have to administer, HCAPs, for example, and then there is like Google, WebMD, HealthGrades type, you know, third-party listing sites that you can leave reviews on. What's more important? Right, would you have rather have Google reviews or HCAP completions? So anyway, I don't want to get, that's a whole nother topic we kind of get off on. But the point that that's even a question is the fact that search engine and online reviews are such a big deal, right? On how people direct and, and choose care. This concept of multi-locational businesses. Right. We talked about like local search. We talked about better understanding of intent and, and entity based search. This really gives rise to the, the uh, many years ago, we were talking about local search, about how to optimize what's local and you're know, putting into your Google business profile all the keywords around the areas that you serve. You don't need to do that anymore. The search engines know that and they're actually prioritizing those places near you first. If you have multiple primary care locations, let's say in a marketplace, depending on where you search, Google will know where that searcher is coming from and how to connect them to that local provider. But then there's that the, the three-letter acronym, Re, that we started off the show with, S-G-E. Ah, uh, yes. Super general electric. Or the search generative experience. You know, I just typed into uh, to BARD, which is Google's generative tool. And I said, what is SGE? And this is what I came back with. Imagine this, you Google best hiking trails near me. And instead of just blue links, you get a concise overview of top trails, complete with maps, difficulty levels, even estimated crowds. That's what SGE, search generative experience, can give you as a promise. Wow. Okay. So this idea that there's more analysis happening right? It's not just an algorithm, I guess. Is that fair? Is that the right way to say it? Well, it's multiple algorithms, maybe is another way to say it, right? Sure. I don't know. That's that's super interesting because, again, it allows you to iterate to some extent, I guess. Well, it allows you to do a, a lot of things, right? First of all, it's a, it's a curated summary. So Google is trying to understand best on what you typed and using AI to analyze the right answer for you. The other thing it's as as this again, this barred answer says, it's a conversation starter. It encourages you to ask follow-up questions, get deeper insights, and even chat with the AI to explore different angles of whatever you're searching for. And then lastly, it's dynamic because if you hover over words, it gives you definitions, it even shows you relevant visuals. And you can go even further based on what you're interested in. It's really trying to give you that immersive experience that's a lot different than just a box of what Google is, 
right? With the words that you type into it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just this idea of search, uh, where you, the user have to be super specific and make sure you're leading the witness, right. In the right direction to get the answer you want, uh, is just not the case anymore. So SGE is experimental right now. And in fact, I get into it deep with Carrie Lichen in the interview that we're going to do right after this next break. We talk about SGE and she has some ideas about how this is going to impact how our website work is in the future, how it's going to impact us as digital marketers and digital experience managers in the future. Uh, It's really thought provoking. So without further ado, let's take a break and we'll come back and we'll listen to Carrie Lichen and a spoiler alert, she's probably going to blow your mind a little bit, but let's do that right after this pause. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast, and today I am delighted to have back on, I would say, one of the most frequent guests we have on the larger Touchpoint family network of podcasts, and that's our good friend, Carrie Lichen. Carrie, welcome back to the show. I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you've been on the Touchpoint podcast, this podcast, I don't know, like seven, this is your seventh visit? (laughs) Has it been? Yeah, it really has been. And you've been on some other shows as well that's in our network too. So you're a very prolific contributor to the industry of all great thoughts and ideas. And today's topic is is no exception. We're going to get into something really interesting. But I'm just happy you're back here on the Touchpoint Show. I'm glad to be back. Thanks. Before we jump into our topic, you know, for those few people that are listening in that may not have heard you in the past, would you mind sharing a brief background of what who you are and what you do? Sure. So uh, my name is Carrie Lykin. I am the head of industry for healthcare at Yext, and I've been at Yext for a little over seven years. I lead product strategy and go to market for the global healthcare business. And that means I get to work with our sales team and our customer success team. I get to talk to our customers and prospects and get to understand what's top of mind for them. What are some big challenges that our organizations are encountering? How can our platform solve those challenges? And then how can I bring feedback back to our product team to make sure that we're continuing to develop and iterate products that allow them to build really cool things that can be solutions for healthcare specifically? In that process, I also work with marketing so that I have the opportunity to create thought leadership and think through opportunities where I see what we were talking about earlier before we started recording, where I see themes in the industry and start to see themes with technology and how do I merge technology and healthcare together to drive the conversation forward in a way that might be a little uncomfortable for organizations in healthcare specifically, but in my role, I get to do a lot of thinking and then writing and then publishing so that we can continue to drive value for our customers and our prospects. Yeah, you, you're kind of, you have the pulse on what's going to happen in the future as well, which I think is really, really important. And it's a little bit of foreshadowing to today's interview with you. <laughs> so uh, buckle in, listeners. This is going to be an interesting one. Carrie, let's get started with the topic uh, at hand. This is something that I have to say, you're one of the first people that have introduced a new three-letter acronym to my lexicon. And there are plenty of three-letter acronyms, or TLAs as I call them, that uh, that serve our industry. But this one is called S 
SGE. Let's talk about what is SGE. Ooh, what is SGE? So should we start from the very beginning of search or should I just define SGE? I think the historical perspective helps, right? So let's go, let's go back. Okay. Well, so SGE means search generative experience, but that doesn't really mean anything until we take a look at the history of search. The history of search is very interesting, and I feel like I, I'm going to say it, and people make fun of me for saying it, but I used to work for Google. and I worked for Google for eight and a half years, so I worked for Google for a very long time. That tenure started in 2007. When I started there, Google was, it was, I would say it was okay. It was nascent. Um, people were using Google to search for things. During my time at Google, the interesting thing was that I was able to see how people actually did search and how that evolution of search started to impact healthcare specifically. So the evolution of search is interesting. Google started out as a box. People would search on that box. And they didn't really know how to search. Do you remember those times when you would actually go to the box, go to that search bar and type in something and sort of hope that maybe when you got the blue links, you could click back and forth to the blue link, back to Google, to the blue link, because you're not quite sure that the search that you did on the box actually would lead you to the right answer. So that was sort of the first part of Google search. And that was... Uh, late 1990s, early 2000s. Right after like Ask Jeeves and Yahoo and those others were out there, right? This is like when search was moving from like indexed lists to what it is, what we kind of know it is to be today. So this is, yeah, I remember those times. It changed significantly, I would say. But yes, that's exactly what it was. There were a lot of different search engines at the time. And then Google came over with this whole, like came over all of them with this concept of let's link back and forth to websites. And then we'll go ahead and prioritize um, which ones have the better links. And then we'll make sure that they have better results. And in that iteration of making sure that there are better and better results, People were finding that when they were searching in that in that search box, they were starting to search for things like cardiology and seeing, okay, can I get some good cardiology links? And then cardiologist or what is cardiology? People started to search differently and then realized that they were getting better results because Google kept updating the algorithm. Then we fast forward to Google every year. They do hundreds of algorithmic updates and they've always done that. But in 20, I think it was 2013 or so, there was a, an update and it was called the Hummingbird Update. Yeah. And in 2013, this update was really a game-changing update for search because prior to this update, anytime you searched on Google, and I'm, I'm not an SEO expert, but I'm grossly you know, overgeneralizing here, but anytime you would search prior to that, Google would say, what did you search for? What are the words in that query? Let's just map it to words we see on pages. That's as simplistic as I can make it. Then the Hummingbird update happened and Google overhauled their entire network of information that they were drawing upon so that they were now starting to draw upon what was called a knowledge graph. And that would link entities together. So one that we always use is 
Leonardo da Vinci. Where was Leonardo da Vinci born? He was born in Italy. What what was his birth date? Here's his birth date. What did he do? Here's his career. What artworks did he like, et cetera, et cetera. And so he was all linked one to another. And so there was that entity linkage, which we call a knowledge graph. That set the stage for an entirely different way of understanding searcher and user intent. So now if somebody's in the search box on Google, you could now actually say, I understand the meaning behind what somebody's actually asking the search box or asking Google, as opposed to matching to a keyword, you're now matching to basically a phrase and then the intent itself. Right. That's right. the stage for voice search, voice assistance. It set the stage for things like making sure like your listings information was accurate, your facility information was accurate, content was accurate. It changed the game for the entire search engine results page, it showed these knowledge cards. And then people also asked, like they started to show a lot of really useful information that people then didn't have to click around to blue links anymore. They could actually get it right on the results page. And that was huge. So then as Google's moving through all of this, there was an update that happened in July of 2023 that basically had a huge focus on person entities. So the person entities were then really more robustly focused on in the knowledge graph. And those number of person entities tripled in literally four days in July. And all of the other entities basically stayed the same. So then they were saying, now we're really going to dive in and drill in on the people piece of when people are searching for things. So we have this you know, blue link situation. We have this situation where people are hunting and pecking around, basically like, did this query work? Did this query work? Then we have this revolution that happens in 2013 with the Hummingbird update. We have Google really giving, you know, great information, but we're starting to see that they're not, people aren't clicking off to websites as much anymore because Google can deliver it right on the results page. And then we have these updates that happened just a few months ago, where now they're really focusing on certain entity types, most namely people. With that, that all happens. And then we also have in November of, I think it was 2022. What happened in November of 2022? Open AI. Yes. Launches. ChatGPT. What is ChatGPT? It's basically a conversational interface that uses generative AI to basically pull information from a, you know, they trained like this huge algorithm they trained with tons of information that you can now go to ChatGPT, you can type in whatever question or prompt you want and get information and an answer back, and you can keep having a conversation with AI. That's November 2022. Google says, oh, shoot, people are <laughs> moving over to ChatGPT because, first of all, it's bright and shiny and really exciting. It is the fastest adopted piece of technology that has ever existed on the planet. And Google has been developing the same type of technology, but has been really afraid over the years to actually launch it because they don't know about the safety of it necessarily. But OpenAI launches it. It then integrates with Bing because Microsoft invests millions of dollars into OpenAI. And now there's this race. There's a race for search. We've heard about that, right? This is the whole thing, right? The ChatGPT, the Bard, launching Bard too early. Now there's Gemini coming. There's this whole race now of generative AI. 
and that coming into the search the search world, so to speak. Exactly. And so what Microsoft did following the OpenAI launch was Microsoft said, this is amazing. We're integrating generative results, generative AI-driven results in Bing. And Google said, oh, no, you don't. We're going to do this too. Just you wait. So Google rushes, 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 rushes. And then around April, May of 2023, they launched their own version of these generative AI results. So we get to what is SGE. SGE is the search generative experience where we know that about 80 plus percent of the time, if you're signed into Google Labs now, you will see a generative result on above the fold on the results page that is completely different than this whole Blue Links experience that we've been used to seeing for the last 25 years. Well, this sounds exciting. It sounds promising, right? Like this is a good a good take, right? It makes the search that much easier, I would say. Because in my experience working with um, generative AI over the last year, it's only getting better and better. And so I think it's starting to understand our intent much better. I think it is. And it's great for Google in many ways. It's also not great for Google in many ways because for the last 25 years, 80% plus of Google's revenue has come from ads on search. And so if you haven't signed up for Google Labs, I would say definitely sign up for Google Labs. If you don't have a Gmail account, get yourself a Gmail account and then sign up for Google Labs and start playing with it because you'll start to see that Google's playing with it. And what they're really struggling with is how do I have a really strong balance between we want to be able to deliver an equivalent experience that Bing users are seeing, but also we want to make it our own, but we don't want to necessarily sacrifice our ad revenue. And right now what we're seeing is that they don't really have a vehicle for ads right now, except for products in this new generative experience. Right, right. So I think it's going to be really interesting Because people will be able to search, they'll go to Google, they'll see the generative experience, they'll see the actual answers. But what's going to happen, I think, is it's going to obliterate traffic to websites and most especially obliterate organic traffic to healthcare websites. Okay, wait a second. Obliterate is such a strong word here. (laughs) It is. (laughs) I'm taking a strong stance, but I think... What we're seeing, and I've done a ton of research on this already, but what we're seeing is that of all of the industries that results show on Google, healthcare has the highest percent of results that are AI generated. So the health category, 86% of results are AI generated. For sports, it's 48%. For finance, it's 51%. So if we understand this to be the case where somebody's searching for, uh, let's say, um, what is mitral valve repair, instead of going to an authoritative source like, let's say, Mayo Clinic or Cleveland Clinic or a local health systems content on their website, going to the blue link, going to that site to do more research on mitral valve repair, now Google is actually just generating a response that says mitral valve repair is a heart you know, a heart surgery that da, 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 da. studies have shown is that when there are these generative results, you can lose up to 84% of your organic traffic. So what does that mean for health? Wow. This is bad. Wow. 
So what does that mean for healthcare? Because that sounds like the whole way digital marketers have been kind of positioning their digital footprint is around making sure that they're leveraging SEO, making sure that they're coming up top of the search engines. They're trying to match intent with what people type in the search engines. So suddenly that whole world is upended. It's exactly, exactly. And I think what healthcare organizations are quickly this year, I think quickly going to have to figure out is if we're going to be doing website work, we're probably going to have to think about the website very differently. I think search engine optimization is going to now start to trickle away. And we're now going to have this new, I'm going to give you another TLA. Okay. Uh, we're going to have this generative engine optimization consideration now, the GEO. Oh, whoa. Yeah. GEO. GEO. That, I think organizations are going to have to now split their idea of and concept of what a website is. So historically, what was a healthcare website? It was an online brochure. It would give information and it would let people come and see and maybe transact, but really no transactions were really happening because you had to call generally. But you could get information. Now what we need to start thinking about, and I'm just testing this out because of all of the research that I've seen and all of the talk in the, in the industry, is websites are going to serve two purposes. Generative technology needs to be trained. Like that AI needs to be trained on content. And so we know the New York Times just sued OpenAI because they said that they illegally accessed information, didn't pay the New York Times for training their algorithms, their AI for that content, et cetera. What we're seeing is that the more information that these AIs can train on, then the better the results can be. And so the website now will serve two, two purposes. One is people are probably not going to the website anymore in the future. In the future. But the content will need to be fed to these AIs because they need to be able to tap into the content in order to generate an up-to-date response for a result. So one piece of it will be sort of a content-infused information uh, giver or deliverer to Google, to OpenAI and Bing, to all of the other ones that are developing like from Amazon and others. So that's one piece. Then the other piece is the websites and I think apps will then end up just being transaction vehicles. So this is where it's going to become even more important to be able to figure out how to transact online, how to book appointments online, how to pay a bill online, how to do all of the things that you really can't do on the SERP right now and you can't do within SGE. But I think the website is now going to serve these two purposes. So do we think about user experience anymore on a website? Maybe, maybe not. Do we think about design anymore? Maybe, maybe not. What we really need to think about is the content and how that's fed. And then the the actual people part, the facilities part, the conditions, like all of those different things, what we're seeing with the SGE experience is that they're pulling on a lot of the data that falls into the Google business profiles. So that becomes even more important to make sure that's sent to Google in a way that's accurate and it's locked in. And then the other piece is how sophisticated are you with the actual transacting because that will become the clincher, like that will become what a website is for. So tracking the the organic traffic growth month over month, year over year, you're probably going to see massive declines of that. So that might not be a good metric anymore. Well, you can't use Google Analytics anymore anyway, so it doesn't matter, right? 
Yeah, so I think this is going to be this is going to be a huge shift, and probably in all of the conferences over the next couple of months through next fall, we will definitely start to hear organizations talking about this and scratching their head. And I think it'll be largely due to the SGE experience. Well, okay, so let's let let me break it down a little bit because you you kind of outlined two ways that websites of the future potentially will will operate. Duly noted that the future is not that far away. No. Right? Mm-hmm. right? It, it's coming. It's imminent. But so the first you said is that it becomes a content engine to feed various, like the generative platforms. But it, we've also heard in the past, right, you need a content, um, you need to do your content strategy to feed audio interfaces like your Amazon devices and your Google Home devices and things like that. Mm-hmm. So content really becomes a big play and content structure becomes a big play and things like schema and other things like that are really, really important, right? Yeah, schema right now, what everyone's saying is that schema is feeding Google and feeding Bing and feeding search engines. There's a little bit of a question mark as to how important it will be in the future, but right now it is a likely factor to ensure that your information is going to be prioritized and show. So schema is very important, at least right now, until we hear otherwise. But we have generative AI, so content's no big deal, right? We could just use, you know, Bard, Gemini, ChatGPT, just to create all of our content, right? And so we're good. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding a little bit. But <laughs> what's your perspective on that? I've been using generative AI for a way to just get started, but not as the sole source and publish. So I think it's important to say, I have a blank sheet of paper and what do I do with that blank sheet? Well, now you have a blank document on, and now you can say, well, why don't I see if I can just generate a few ideas and get that started? And so staring at something that's blank doesn't feel as difficult anymore. But I don't think that it's great to say, generate post. First of all, you still have to worry about hallucinations, which are basically when the AI makes up things. And so there's all this talk around, you need to make sure that you understand what it is that you're asking for and prompting the experience. But then also you need to have great editing skills too. So should be able to expand upon what is created. But ultimately that data has to be structured in a way to A, inform people about what content is relevant about your organization, like the service lines, the physicians, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. That's the schema part of it, the structure part of it. But the other part of it is it, it has to be unique to you and differentiate you. It does, 100%. It's the EEAT of SEO, and I don't think we need to get into it here, but Essentially, it's about, are you the authority on it? Do you have the expertise? So those types of things, yes. You can't just say, go ahead and generate, and it's as generic as possible, post it up there. That's not good enough. Okay, so let's focus quickly on the second part. You said that you have to really get good at making those transactions on your website better. We all know that that's a bit, always been a bit of a challenge for health systems. The, the whole concept of UX, UI... You know, part of that, what you're talking about is the UI, the user interfaces, and then the experience going through those user interfaces. That is something we've all realized for years that we Mm -hmm. need to improve. We need to make that better. But in in effect, what you're saying is we need to be able to not only make those transactions simpler and easier, 
But is there a way to federate those transactions out to like the Google, the business profiles or to that generative solution so that in the future, I can imagine someone would be able to type in what's the best cardiologist in Boston, Massachusetts, the generative AI solution would come up and like start to, I I know that's not the right query, but we'll, we'll put together, you know, a good response and then be able to are you suggesting that then the user would be able to write there from whatever search generated experience they're using, uh, be able to transact right with the health system and not really go to their website? Or do you think that it's going to lead them back to the website? The website just becomes a transactional world. I would say yes to both. I think there's a world where perhaps the former, the first part could be true, as well as I think the world may exist more in the future, in the latter. And so what I think is right now, if we think through transacting on the website, if someone clicks from, and I've, I've done a ton of these searches in the SGE experience, and let's say I'm looking for the best cardiologist in Boston, it lists a lot of cardiologists. It's not a map pack. It's just a lot of cardiologists that you can click on that then could take you to a health systems website, to that cardiologist's page directly, where then you maybe can transact, try to book an appointment. So that, I think, is more near term. But what we're seeing, and I saw this in a, in a Google I.O. presentation a couple of years ago, where they were really excited about voice at the time. And remember that Hummingbird update that I referenced really set up the voice the capability of being able to have more complex things actually have a conversation with technology by voice. And so what they demoed was the opportunity to use Google and click on the knowledge card for a local Thai restaurant, click on a make a reservation button. Then what it would do is it would call the restaurant and take over and actually have an interaction. It was the Google Assistant making the appointment on your behalf and then sending you a confirmation back that says you're all set for 6 p.m. on Thursday evening. That was for restaurants. That was using Google Voice, and they called it, I think it was called Google Duplex, I think. And so in an ideal world, if Google can't make, let's say, and I'm totally, this is total conjecture, I have no idea, but if Google can't make the same type of ad revenue from an AdWords click anymore, this new experience, what are other ways they could make money? Perhaps it's transactions. And so could they integrate that? And they are doing this, actually. Bard is integrating with Google Assistant. They just... um, they just laid off a number of Google Assistant engineers. They've merged the two together. So now basically Google Assistant and Bard are one. And so are they then thinking of how do we then make this into a revenue generating opportunity for us? So let's say every time somebody clicks on book an appointment, if that's a possibility, then right. they take a piece of that. So they take... they. Somehow, I don't know how they would price it, but there is a world in which that could maybe happen. They already, you can already, through third-party integration into the knowledge card, you can actually book appointments for primary care, for urgent care on Google Now. So will they expand that? And then will they take a piece of it? Let's say you do an orthopedics appointment. Well, you know that the reimbursement on orthopedics is quite high. So will they you know, charge $100 for every appointment booked? I don't know. 
the plethora of possibilities. And I think that there's an opportunity to think through what that could look like. But that's why it's so important for organizations to get their data together, for marketing and IT to work really close together, (laughs) and to make sure that there is a heavy focus on how do we make sure that we can capitalize on those transactions because they could happen on the website, but it's likely that at some point they're going to need to be prepared to operate offsite. This changes everything. It does. I appreciate your your foresight here and the thoughts of where we're going to head, but this this will fundamentally shift how we show up as digital denizens in this space. There's no doom and gloom here, right? It's just a whole different model. It's like the things we did prior to when there was SEO, now we have to adopt to the new technology, the new thing that's out there, right? That's kind of what you're saying. Yes. And I think it's important to do the homework. What I see in healthcare generally is that there are some who will be all in and try to figure it out, but many will just sort of wait and see. And I don't think this is an opportunity to wait and see. Testing has to happen. And it has to happen now so that there is a good understanding of how this is going to change. Because we've already seen since about April, May, we've actually seen with our customers that traffic has started to go down already to websites. And that's only been in, what, eight months? As this rolls out, because it's still in labs and labs for Google means that this is just in the testing phase. They're collecting lots of information. But when they go live... This is where things are going to get really tricky and really hairy. And so if you haven't tested prior to it, if you haven't learned about all of the different elements of how this could impact and change the way people are accessing information on the website, literally you'll be caught off guard and it will not be a good situation for anyone. Wow, Carrie. Now you've been on the show before and you've given out predictions that have pretty much come come to bear light. (laughs) I'm a fortune teller, I guess. I'm not going to hold you to this one, but I think that that just what you just described, though, illustrates the rapid adoption of generative tools in everything that we do. We've been worrying about it, about content creation. We've been worrying about it from coding. We've been worried about it. We're not worried about, but we've been concerned, focused on, you know, these areas and trying to fix it. Now what you're saying is it's going to upend everything related to the Google ecosystem. And by the way, Google is firmly behind this, at least with some of the work that they're doing through their Google Labs and the Gemini product and other things like that. They probably are already thinking this way. I definitely think that they are. And again, it all comes down to, for them, it all comes down to money. So they'll be making decisions based on how they can maximize or at least preserve their revenue. So we should always be thinking about that in the backs of our minds too, because it will not be for the healthcare organizations, it will not be for organizational websites. It'll always be about what's best for Google. So then you have to bob and weave around that and you just have to be aware. And they're going to charge you for every time someone books an appointment through their search generative experience. Yes. Weird new world that you're kind of predicting here. I, uh, I'm, I'm excited to see. And, you know, it's kind of interesting how AI has kind of subsumed every aspect of what we do. Why don't we end with, uh, if people want to carry on this conversation with you, what's the best way for them to uh, connect with you online and maybe figure out where you're at? Maybe they can even hear you speak in the future. Yeah. (laughs) So I uh, can be found on LinkedIn. It's Carrie Lykin, L-I-K-E-N. 
And I'm going to a number of conferences over the next couple of months. I'll be at Vive next in February, and then I'll be at HMPS in April. If you haven't been to either one of those conferences, you definitely have to make it. Um, I think it's really exciting. Make sure you you get in the seat and hear Carrie speak. But uh, Carrie, once again, you are here, blew my mind a little bit, introduced a new TLA. I really appreciate this conversation. And you know, I'm sure we're going to be talking about this in uh, days and years to come. Yeah, I can't wait to see what happens. So we'll, uh, we'll be in tuned to it. It was great being here. All right. Well, special thanks to Carrie for coming on the show. She's been on uh, a few times and always somebody I enjoy seeing and visiting with. seems like the only time I see her, obviously, is at industry conferences uh, throughout the year. But it's, it's good to do so, and it's always good to talk to her. Um, speaking of industry conferences, uh, sign up for the TPS report. We mentioned that. It was over on the website, touchpoint.health. That email that you get once a week with the five articles, there's also links to upcoming conferences. And so we'll talk more about those as we get closer to them. But uh, a quick way that you can um, uh, click through and find um, uh, find out a little bit more about, about what's coming up and, and on the calendar. So, mm-hmm. All right. Recommendations. You're a Spotify user, right? Uh, I do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I'm like a power user or anything, but... Uh, yeah, you know, well, that's okay. You know, that's I'm okay. I'm going to recommend something that's a feature of Spotify. We use Spotify a lot here at home. My wife and I, we listen to music all the time. And my little boy, he was becoming quite a music listener as well. Of course, we control his playlist, but you know that's how it goes. In November of last year, Spotify released something called The Day List. The Day List is a curated playlist based on using AI the user's tastes, and the music they listen to. Okay. And it changes. It changes throughout the day. It changes throughout the, the, you know, the different days of the week. It changes all the time. So it's really fascinating. I started playing around with it because it was kind of fun. But it actually is pretty relevant. It, it kind of aligns to where you're at. So, for example, in the mornings, I usually do, you know, me and my wife, we usually do a little home workout in the mornings. So this morning... I typed, all you have to do is go into Spotify and type in Daylist in the search. And it comes back with a, a named playlist. And this morning's playlist was Happy Pop 2020's Friday Early Morning. Whereas yesterday, I did it in the afternoon. It was Feel Good Old School Afternoon. And then at nights, it's usually, you know, it's usually a nighttime related theme. I didn't, I don't remember what it was last time, but every night it changes. And by the way, the songs change too. So I know you pulled out your phone and you probably did it, right? What's yeah. the name of your day list? Easygoing Tribute Morning. There you go. <laughs> and you can see the songs and things are kind of built on your own listing preferences. So my recommendation this week is using Spotify's day list. Uh, you can use it, by the way, at night too. Don't be deceived. It's not just during the day. It's really fascinating because it combines your listing habits to where you're at spatially in time. And it pulls together a curated playlist, some songs that you've listened to before and others that you haven't. And I strongly recommend it. I love it. In fact, that's kind of how I start my Spotify experience now as I see what the day list is like. Very cool. Very cool. I like that. I like that. I am going to recommend, I've recommended this brand before. I'm almost positive called Topo Designs, T-O-P-O, uh, topodesigns.com. 
And I have a I have a briefcase I like or messenger bag, whatever you want to call it. It's got backpack straps. It's it's pretty cool. I think I've recommended yeah. it before. Um, I needed something for cables. I had a bag and it finally kind of wore out and gave out for my my chargers and maybe my AirPods, you know, things like that or whatever. So uh, of course I went back there. And uh, they make a number of different uh, kind of small accessory bags. A fair amount of them sold out right now, but there is a Topo Light, is what they call it, accessory bag. Uh, that's pretty cool. It's real basic, but I, what I like about it is it's thin. Um, it's not real, real bulky, so it fits down inside of another like messenger bag or backpack or whatever pretty pretty easily. And the things that you know that they do well, I think, like especially. They might get in their roller bag actually for travel, but they'll make the interior of most of their bags a bright color, so it's easy to find stuff like inside of the bag. That's always helpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Topo Designs again, whether it's this one or another one, uh, you know, you can check out some of their bags and stuff like that. It's 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 pretty cool. They got some good good stuff. So uh, check it out. That's really good. Just question for you. Is Topo Designs related to Topo Chico, the seltzer water? That'd be amazing. Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, they, they yeah, should do com- a mashup. Comes, yeah, it comes with, <laughs> yeah, it comes with uh, yeah, uh, bottle water. <laughs> That'd be a great mashup right there. All right, folks. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for uh, hanging out with us another week. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. Love to hear from you. Uh, LinkedIn, best way to track us down. Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.